Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You are listening to AVFC Extra, a no-nonsense look at the club we all love. Brought to you by the Claret and Blue podcast. Hello and welcome to AVFC Extra, a little extra dose of Aston Villa into your podcast feed from the team at Claret and Blue. I'm James Rushton and today we're diving deep into the topic of injuries, specifically the injury that occurred to Wesley, the uh, former Aston Villa record signing, uh, who was injured on New Year's Day with a serious knee injury that keeps him out to this day. Uh, we've got Ben Dinnery on the podcast today uh, to dive in deeper to Wesley's injury and all injuries and some of the weirdest injuries he's heard, some of the weirdest ones he's seen at Aston Villa and of course what the worst injury a footballer can suffer is. So without any further ado, here's Ben. So hi Ben, how are you doing? How are you getting on? Uh, yeah, all good, James, uh, during these strange times. So yeah, it's great to have football back. Um, good to be busy again. Keeps me um, you know, away from doing household chores and putting up shelves and painting. And So it's good to be back involved in, in day-to-day football. Well, I think for our listeners and viewers, uh, you need to explain yourself. And I don't mean you're not going to be questioned here on anything you've committed, uh-huh. any dodgy things you said about Villa in the past. We have had uh, an Everton fan on that <laughs> question quite harshly about how he feels about Ross Barkley. But yeah, uh, Ben, just for our viewers and listeners, uh, who are you and uh, what do you do? So I'm uh, an injury data analyst uh, and I've run the PremierInjuries.com website now for uh, a little over 10 years. And uh, predominantly, I-, I look at the injury data around the Premier League. So looking at uh, individuals, teams, return to play timelines, just looking, you know, I, I think the, the site itself was was born out of a need just to, you know, to cut through all the, the hyperbole that's maybe reported in the press and to give people a real insight and understanding on, on return to play timelines and, and some of the things that may affect that, um, you know, when a players are, are recovering and um, when they go through the, the various phases of rehabilitation. So we spoke about that a bit in our pre-record, right? We were speaking about the misconceptions. And um, before we get into the meat of the matter, we want to be talking about Wesley's injury because it's the biggest injury at Aston Villa at the moment. Um, I wanted to go, what's what's the main misconception people have with injuries? Um, Look, there's so many influencing factors when it comes to injuries. And just because a player uh, does return to play doesn't necessarily mean that they're all 100% fit. And, you know, on the flip side to that, it doesn't necessarily mean that if a player was to miss out, um, it, you know, it doesn't mean that they're always injured. And then also you throw in, you know, it, when we talk about a return to play, a return to trade, a return to performance, three separate things. So somebody being on the training pitch doesn't necessarily mean, you know, they're ready to engage in, in you know, full contact team sports. And also return to play doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to hit the ground running. You know, particularly touched upon Wesley. We're talking about a player who potentially, you know, when he returns, that could be maybe 11, 12, 13 months down the line. It could take, you know, uh, uh, you know, a number of games or, or even certain weeks and uh, or months even before we start to see um, any kind of the level of performance that he was sort of pre-injury. So, I mean, we all saw Wesley's injury on, on New Year's Day. It was 
probably a grotesque highlight reel at the time when I saw it. It looked, it didn't look innocuous, but you think he's, he's getting up from that. There's no way. But you look at the picture, and I know most of our viewers and listeners would have seen the picture, but his picture is that he's knee bending under a challenge, under a stress challenge from Ben May. Um, what type of injury would that have been then? Um, because we see knee ligament damage a lot, knee ligament. We don't see the, the detail of it. What what type of injury would that have been? Yeah, so the, this is predominantly affects the, the anterior cruciate ligament. So when it, when we talk about mechanism of injury, and that's obviously the tackle coming in from from the from the from the side there, and the anterior cruciate ligament actually acts as a stabilizer of the knee joint. You know that that attaches the the femur, the thigh bone to the shin, the tibia. Um, and that keeps things sort of nice and tight in there. Now, obviously, the, the impact from the tackle stretched that ligament um, and, and caused that ligament to rupture, which, you know, in turn causes the instability. And there's also damage, um, you know, in and around the medial collateral ligament. So that's the ligament on the inside of the knee. So rarely do we see ACL injuries happen in, in isolation. There are always, uh, you know, more often than not, there are always, you know, secondary complications and, and further damage in and around the joint. Like I say, that might be uh, around the medial ligament and, and also possibly that there's a good chance that there was damage in and around the cartilage as well. So I think you, you mentioned those uh, three crucial uh, letters, the ACL, right? I think we hear a lot about that. And uh, is it such as, is it the, the biggest, one of the scariest injuries you can have as a footballer, do you think? I mean, you, you see the data, what, what is, what is the how common is this what does it um, do? how how common is it um you know inherently over the course of your typical premier league season we could record anywhere in the region of maybe eight to, to 15 reported injuries for those involved within the first team or considered first team players within the premier league um and and return to play strategies and return to performance you know it's certainly a lot better than it was a few years ago you know, uh, you know, at one point it was probably considered career ending. That certainly isn't the case now. However, you know, the research um, will tell us that, you know, players rarely who suffer any kind of serious long term injury, you know, they, they rarely come back and, and perform better than they did sort of pre-injury. So we would expect some kind of maybe um, effect on performance. And whether that's just the player, maybe, um, you know, we talk about the physical aspect of the injury, you know, you have uh, you rehab the ACL or, or you, you have reconstructive surgery, but also you've got the psychological aspect of the injury. And you talk about players who maybe need to adapt their style of play to maybe, you know, mitigate or minimise any risk, or they maybe, you know, they look to, to alter how they play the game. So there are a number of different facets in and around that injury. Um, but, you know, it, I suppose a good example of a, of a player who, who suffered, suffered quite a serious or significant setback in his time and, in, and he's flourishing at this moment is, is Tyrone Mings. You know, I think it was back in 2015, maybe in his time in Bournemouth, suffered... Um, quite a serious setback, very similar to Wesley in terms of we know it was MCL and we know it was ACL, um, and and you see how he's performing, you know, uh, in recent times. So there's there's still hope there, of, of course, but there are no guarantees. What do you think is the biggest? I know we've already spoke about misconceptions, but directly with the ACL, MCL, I think you do see it was like the metatarsal thing in 2002 and when Ryan Rooney had it it was just this big shocking thing but um what is the, the biggest misconception you think the the footballing watching public have about these type of injuries um 
Yeah, I mean, it, look, it goes from it, it, from one extreme to the other. We can look at the likes of maybe Florian Lejeune at Newcastle. He suffered an ACL injury back, um, it may have been 2017, I think, give or take. Now, he returned to play within 120 days. So immediately, um, you know, people see that and then they expect all players to return within that type of timeline. We've actually seen examples where players return to play slightly quicker than that. Roberto Baggio, towards the end of his career, managed to return to play within 88 days. So less than three months, and he was performing for, for Italy, um, you know, on the international scene, which is, uh, you know, phenomenal and, and certainly unheard of. So people, like I say, see these sort of timelines. And, and when you see the likes of your Wesleys and your Tom Heatons, and it's going past four and five and six and seven months, you're thinking, well, what's wrong? What's happening? Why aren't they back on the pitches? When the reality of the situation is an average return to play, you know, inherently we're looking at maybe nine to 12 months. Any return to play within the nine-month period, and there's a significant risk of um, re-injury or recurrence around the knee joint. So it's, yeah, it, it's, you know, it's that understanding that there are, there are different procedures, there are different recovery rates, players respond differently to treatment and also in long-term injuries you know very rarely is that road to recovery smooth there are twists and turns along the way and and setbacks and you know players need to be sort of held back a little bit so you know and then you know it's nothing to worry about in the grand scheme of things um but like I say there are so many influencing factors that 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 play a part in in a player getting back out on the pitch and people don't necessarily you know say that or, or maybe even fully understand or realise what's going on behind the scenes. So going back to the, the direct injury, at the moment of collision, what would have happened to those ligaments as, as one player's knee collides essentially with another yeah. takes them out? So the ACL, like I say, will attach to the um, to the to the thigh bone and, and the top of the shin, and, you know, and 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 at a point of impact that that stretches. So the the thigh bone will actually move forward ahead of that shin bone. It will stretch and strain. Um, and, and given what we know of Wesley, you know that's that stretched to a point where you know the the tissue and the fibre damage is such where it's almost uh, a complete rupture. And the fact that it's it's you know it's snapped gone, or you know certainly a large percentage of those fibres have been torn, and the only way really of, of progressing from that point is is reconstructive surgery. So it's that side impact which is you know has distorted that structural and made that that knee um, unstable. So I think the complications are, are worth speaking about because. There's a recovery process I think we will touch on. But I remember yesterday, uh, I don't want to date the podcast too much, but there was a quarterback who came back in the NFL, Alex Smith. He had to have 17 ligament surgeries, I believe. So there there are a massive amount of complications that can occur from person to person. So when we saw people dating Wesley to come back in October, and now that's probably been postponed until 2021 at the earliest, there are plenty of complications that can happen with a, a ligament injury and the recovery, I guess. Yeah, so again, you come down to the individual. You come down; it it, it comes down to um, the surgeon, the type of procedure. Um, again, how, how that rehab process is going. Um, you know, the pressures from the club, even and and uh, you know, if, if we want to look at, say, for example, now if we're looking at, at, at Tom Heaton, you know, are, are the pressures on 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 Tom Heaton to return to play as quick as maybe they would before the signing of Emiliano Martinez? Are the pressures on Wesley the same as before Ollie Watkins? 
signed. You know, of course not. Things are going quite well for Villa at the moment. Therefore, you know, Dean Smith's going to be looking at the situation and saying, well, do we need to rush these players back? Villa are winning games. You know, you change that situation, you know, that scenario around and, and you maybe look uh, so earlier part of the year when, when Villa was struggling in and around that sort of relegation dogfight. And Dean Smith, you know, had it been then, Dean Smith is saying, well, you know what is, we need Tom Heaton back out. We need to push it. We need, because the clock is always ticking. The, the, you know, the second the player is, is injured, uh, the countdown is on, you know, to get those players back on the pitch. And very rarely are players afforded um, the opportunity to go through a full, you know, recovery and rehabilitation programme. Um, you know, it's all about, it's it's fine margins, it's a fine balancing act. And it's about, you know, being involved in those player-led decisions, you know, determining and, you know, when it's, I suppose, yeah, safe to, to return to play and when you consider all of those risk factors. So what is that recovery process then? I mean, they're all different. You you weren't Wesley Surgeon, right? You weren't operating on that knee. You weren't training him in Brazil. Um, but what needs to happen after an injury of that type, like directly after? Um, so, you know, uh, initially the, the knee would be assessed to determine the extent of the damage. Now, imaging... Um, can vary during those, those those first phases, maybe depending upon, um, you know, the swelling in and around the joint. There'll be a lot of fluid. So, but inherently the medical team, you know, will have a good understanding. There are tests which will be done in and around that. Imaging will be used just to sort of confirm that. Um, and, and surgery will be booked in as, you know, as, as soon as uh, that can happen. You know, the sooner that surgery can take place, then the quicker, um, you know, you know, the players can, um, get back to to working and strengthening that knee up, and it's about you know it, we're talking about sports specific training here, so we're talking about players who um, inherently want to get back out on the pitch. They want to be able to perform and do their job, um, you know. So it's it's running, it's sprinting, it's heading, it's quick changes in direction. It's about getting up there and, and being able to to cope and tolerate the demands of the game. Um, you know, and, and also monitoring and, and managing that knee, making sure there's no reaction. If there's any swelling, you know, that needs to be, they need to ha- um, have a full range of motion within that knee to, like I say, inherently to, to be able for them to be able to go out and perform um, at the highest level and, and at their optimal performance levels. So I think from what we're all saying here, this is a this is a complex situation, not just to the explosive injury that occurs, but everything that comes after. So I feel like we've all dated this injury, this recovery as October whenever. We've all dated it and we dated it quite far back. You know, we dated it looking at was it spring when lockdown occurred, we will Wesley be back in action. Was that unrealistic unrealistic and unfair to kind of Date a recovery date as a day when he comes back. When it's a it's a gradual process. Was that unfair? Um, um, everybody wants a date. Stakeholders, managers, players. Everybody wants to know when he will return to it. You know, the player will be asking his physio. The player will ask him the surgeon. You know, stakeholders within the club will be asking the backroom staff. The manager, you know, will be saying, you know, when can we have him back on the pitch? So it's, you know, uh, that's just what people need to know that that's a target that's a goal to work towards however you like I say we don't respond we don't progress um you know it's 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 not this smooth road to recovery there are a lot of things that can happen along the way which can determine and, and influence you know 
COVID and the shutdown and, and you know and, and players not being able to access maybe the level of care that they could within the clubs would have could have certainly impacted on that. You know, not having that sort of first hand level of, of specialist support and engagement on a daily basis. Um, you know, that could have delayed things a little bit. So it's it's things like that you need like I say, you need to consider. But on the other hand as well, there is also as I touched upon, you know, that sometimes there isn't a need to, to thrust a player right back in into there. You know, the demands of a of a Wesley returning to a, to an Aston Villa now are maybe not once what they were. You know, if you look at my hometown club in, in Newcastle, if Callum Wilson was to suffer a, a major you know, setback, ACL injury, you know, then the pressures on on the likes of, of Steve Bruce to get him back would be inherently greater because you know we don't really have another centre forward or striker who's able to maybe get the amount of goals that um, that Callum Wilson can. So, like I say, that all of these play influencing factors in that, but inherently at the centre of all of this is the player, and they're involved in this process. You know, every step of the way, they understand the risks and they make you know the decisions in and around that. But of course, you know, clubs have a have a duty of care as well, and they also need to protect the player as well, and, and ensure that not only a player um, returns to play, but they also stay fit, and they continue to do that. And and also, you know, you also need to consider maybe the the player, you know, post football, what happens after the game, um, and, and is that you know is it going to be a detriment to his, um, you know, his, his living? after his career's finished. And so there's also aspects of that to consider, not not just the here and now and the present. Yeah, I think going back to the NFL, again, don't want to date this too much, but you have a, a situation where someone's earnings are directly impacted by this injury where, you know, you have a, a player, Dak Prescott, who who seems to have suffered a really bad fracture. He's only got a, a year left on, on a contract. So it, it thrusts you into a situation. That's not the same with Wesley, but it could be if he doesn't return. It's similar to a situation, I guess, with Lebo Kozak at Aston Villa, where you, you get in, you break, seem to break through, you get injuries, there's complications and nothing's ever the same. You're not, you, you're playing at a, an all right level, but not that level. Not, you're not, your career's not going in the same direction, is it? Yeah, I mean, look, we, we've seen it with a number of players highlighted during Project Restart, and you had players who were actually refusing to sign short-term contract extensions, and almost, you know, fans and supporters, um, I suppose rightly or wrongly, you know, they held an opinion on those players, how they should, you know, how they should, you know, give to the club. But, you know, th- these are disposable assets, and, and the shoe's on the other foot. You know, this... Situation may be unprecedented, but you know, by not renewing contracts before that, you know, clubs made it inherently clear that they probably didn't fit in their long term objectives. We've seen um, the guy from Leeds United now, he signed a short term deal, so we're talking about a, a nine or ten game short term contract within that period of games, suffered a ruptured ACL. Come to the end of July, he's out of contract and he's sitting on a eight or nine month injury. Now, you know, he is in no position to be able to, to sign for another club. You know, he can write off almost a year's worth of salary. He's then got to go through all his own rehab. He maybe have to finance that. Um, you know, so the, it's, I see a lot of mud being thrown at, at, at players. And, and I look, again, I look at hometown, hometown club with Ryan Fraser. But 
again, you need to consider the, the wider picture. And, and these guys have a very short career, you know, crammed into just a, a short amount of time. Um, and to suffer um, potentially like a, a, a long time or a potentially career ending injury, you know, it, it's, they need to consider that. And is it is it worth it for, you know, that, that short sort of eight or nine game period? Yeah, because I feel like when you see, um, again, it's probably going a bit off topic, but when you see fans kind of getting a bit annoyed, uh, this isn't so much a situation in, in, in football, but in other sports where there's like a, a, a stall, there's a contract stall where they, they want their money, they want to get paid because they're, they're one bad day away from not having the same standard of living again or their life changing forever. And I guess we, we're not in that situation, right? We, we have to do different things and work in different ways. And our, our careers are certainly on a, a different incline, but in football, you get that bad injury, you, you're not getting paid. Are you, you, it all changes. Yeah, I mean, look, um, football injuries are part and parcel of football. You know, it's it's a contact sport. They they are going to happen. Um, there's no rhyme or reason to a lot of it. And like I say, yeah, you can only you're only ninety minutes away from from suffering an injury, then, and you may never ever play again. And you know, if you retire at you know twenty five, twenty six, thirty, now how are you going to support, sustain a, a family for the next forty, fifty, sixty years? Um, so you know, footballers are, are well, well rewarded, and, and quite rightly so. You know, but you've got to you've got to plan and, and manage that situation, and um, it, it, it's got to cut both ways. You know, you can't expect um, you know uh, players to show loyalty to clubs when ultimately, you know, if clubs want you out and managers want you out, you know, then then you haven't really got much choice in the matter. You know, you, you, it, it's dead wood. You, you, you cut adrift. So. Uh, and I understand that, and and maybe more people are becoming a little bit more wise to that. But you know, a lot of the, um, I think loyalty in, in terms, you know, Premier League football now is a business. You know, it's a numbers game, um, and to expect players to to have that level of loyalty now, I think is uh, it's a little bit unfair and it's a little bit unrealistic. Certainly, plenty uh, of the mental side to consider, I guess. So, uh, touching on what Wesley said himself. And this goes quite deeply into the uh, psychological impacts. He said it to Brazilian TV, uh, I didn't even want to know the severity of the injury. I was having a good time. I was scoring goals. I didn't want to know anything at the time. The doctor explained to me that I broke my ligaments. I kept crying every day, worried I would even play again. But my family supported me. So this is a situation, I guess, where touching upon what you said before, that rehabilitation process, it's like, at a smaller extent, it's like me. I'm not crying every day, but I had an Achilles injury, which it does re- reoccur when I, I go for for a run. If it's not on a, a uh, on a gym machine, uh, when I'm running on the road, you feel that twinge and it gets in your mind. You're like, I don't want to do that again. Like, and at a higher extent, that that's players, right? You you get back on that pitch, you feel a twinge in your knee, and that that's in your head. Then that's like you can't have that if you're a a striker and you need that explosive burst of acceleration and speed to beat a man or that strength to hold someone up that might not be there you might have a bit more on your plate when it comes to match day right yeah I mean look I, I go back to an injury that, that uh, Aaron Ramsey suffered um, the horrific leg break um, I can't remember this precisely but he was saying you know, it probably took him three years just to be able to sort of go out on the pitch and actually feel confident and comfortable enough that his leg, you know, leg was was able to tolerate the demands of the game and he could, you know, completely focus on just playing football and knowing that whatever happened on that pitch, the leg was going to hold up. 
So that was that was in the back of his mind for, for sort of two to three years. And you probably see that with maybe the likes of the, the, the Jack Wilchers. You know, these days they're never maybe able to to fulfil that level of, uh, of of potential maybe that, that once was because they've had so many injury setbacks that, you know, it's... it's Subconsciously, they're, they're, they're maybe altering their, their, the way they're playing the game. They're not maybe committing to the same tackles as much. They're maybe you know, just pulling out. They're tweaking things. Uh, whereas you know, in the past, um, you know, it might have just been a little bit more free flowing and natural. So there's, there's certainly that aspect of it. Yeah, it plays a, a big part in players recovering from long term injury. So again, we've touched on something here, but what would the difference between between a normal person going through a similar injury and someone like Wesley, obviously there's a difference in terms of the club and the money involved and the expectations. But I've known people in in my life who've had a similar injury and now just playing five aside, and you're talking that's it, that, that's years gone. Like they can't perform, they can't play, they can't have fun, they can't do this, they can't do that. I think my cousin had a, a knee injury and it was pretty gruesome. And in football, it happens. You get over it eventually, you return, you might not be at the same level. But a normal person, it seems to be like it hits you and that's it. Um, well, I suppose I'm a fortunate, I, I, I can speak with, um, you know, give me own insight on this because I ruptured uh, ACL and MCL um, back in the early noughties, I think it was. And in that process from, from actually, you know, um, being diagnosed and then going through uh, rehab and the surgery was, was six years. Start to finish, um, so, so there's a little bit of disparity there in, in terms of the timeline. But you know, other than maybe uh, a few weeks or a few months off off work at the time, inherently I, w- I was able to go around about my my day to day business uh, as it was. You know, it certainly didn't affect anything that I was really doing in and around work at, at that particular point in time. Um, you know. Wesley, you know, it, that could have finished his career. Um, and it's still not, nothing to say that, you know, it won't. There are a number of examples where players um, have suffered setbacks. Ryan Taylor, uh, I think he was, you know, two to, two to three days away from a potential return last um, last training session and suffered a, a, a recurrence or a, a re-injury of the opposite ACM, which puts him out for another, I think, 15, 16 months um, and it was almost three to four years before he was back and playing at any kind of level, and then sort of dropped from playing, you know, just down and down because he wasn't able to perform um, at that level he, he once was. But you know, being able, I suppose, to, to access it, you know, that medical care and medical support on a, on a daily basis um, is good. But but players, you know, we've seen Wesley who, who's been out in Brazil and he's, he's rehabbing with his own maybe personal trainers, with his own doctors, in and around his family, you know, your average Joe on the street. Yeah, we've still got to try and go out there and, and, and earn a crust. And, we're, you know, we're not given this this individualised tailored programme. I was through the NHS myself and with the best will in the world. You were given a piece of paper and, you know, do these exercises and come back in three weeks. And then if you're doing them well enough and you're not having a reaction, then we'll give you another piece of paper and then you can go off and do that. Um, and yeah, it was very slow. So it's um, uh, yeah, there's a there's, there's a little bit of disparity between you know, <laughs> uh, what what happens to a footballer and, and, and what the majority of people uh, get, you know, if they suffer similar types of injuries. 
almost similar to kind of like comic book heroes when they get yeah, hurt and yeah, they're yeah. after some super lab although uh, Joe Public has to deal with it in a much yeah, different yeah, way. Yeah. Um, so going on to Tom Heaton because he was another long-term injury thankfully he seems to be coming back a little bit sooner he's on the grass he's training he's speak well not like he affected his speech but he's in the club and speaking and performing interviews um how would his injured differ from Wesley's because if I remember I might be misremembering this but Wesley seemed to be like a direct player to player impact whereas Heaton seemed to fall really awkwardly on injury I guess there's a similar type of impact yeah so I mean you know when we talk about mechanism of injury um collision um, tackle from an opponent um, is is one of the most common, but also um, jumping and landing awkwardly, um, which happened with 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 Tom Heaton. Now, you never get; it's difficult to get a hand of full diagnosis of of what's actually going on within the knee and from the club. Some are better than others, and and quite often you're reading between the lines. Um, but given what you can see through sort of video analysis. And from the player himself, it seems that there was that there was very little or, or no, you know, secondary structural damage uh, in and around that joint. So the focus primarily would have just been on the ACL. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think there was any MCL involved, and there may may not have been any, um, you know, cartilage damage. So that's inherently because, you know, with Wesley, you have to address these other aspects first. They may have had a surgical intervention just for maybe the cartilage maybe the MCL, and then maybe the ACL, you know, so it, it happens at different stages and it goes through that process and, you know, different timelines. Whereas with Tom, it could have just been straight down the line, ACL, you know, and once that's, you know, surgical intervention has been complete, then you can start working on the rehab, which is why maybe, you know, he's, he's looking to return um, slightly ahead uh, of Wesley's sort of time frame. So... Would that time frame be affected, I guess, not just by age, but positions? I, I mean, we're not we're expecting Heaton to do a lot of jumping. We're expecting West to be doing jumping as well. But in terms of explosive actions, I would assume the strike will be doing more. Thus, they would have a bit much more time allowed for recovery. Um, you know, goalkeeping situations, they, they, they're quite sort of involving quite intense bursts of energy quick changes, you know, they may may not be involved in the game for, you know, 70, 80, 85% of a game, but those 10 to 15%, you know, those actions are quite high intense. So the demands on the body um, can be fairly extreme. Um, but, you know, like I say, given, but yes, you know, when we're talking about goalkeepers, uh, although I don't have the specific data to hand, but yeah. most of those uh, ACL ruptures, types, injuries will be caused by, you know, and, you know, awkward landings, those taking off and la- single leg landings, which are putting that, that knee under additional stress. Um, certainly when we look at the data just in and around injuries, um, predominantly, you know, there's a large, a significant percentage of those will be outfield players. You know, there's only a sort of small smattering of, of um, reported ACL injuries will relate to, to goalkeepers. I think there's only a couple um, that, that instantly sort of spring to mind. Tim Krul, when he was at Newcastle and now at Norwich, being, being one of those. So I guess uh, I say quote-unquote fun. Uh, we'll go on to some kind of miscellaneous questions to kind of wrap it up. I wanted to know, Ben, uh, what's the strangest footballing injury you've heard of that's kept someone out for a, a while? Um, well, we, uh, sticking with the Villa theme, I suppose. Um, again, back in the, I think it was maybe around about two thousand seven ish. Know where we're going with this? 
with the Darius Vassell one. Um, so I don't know if that was that, that was the injury that you had to main. Um, he had a, a bit of a blood blister, I think it was under his big toe, and as opposed to maybe seeking um, you know medical guidance from from the backroom staff down there, decided to take a, a drill to his toe to try and relieve that pressure, which subsequently got infected. You know, so uh, um, that here. which is <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, not the best thing to do uh, in hindsight, uh, but you know, we, I think we've seen was it uh, was it Dave Besson maybe dropped a, a glass jar of salad cream I think on his toe, and we've had Kieran Dyer who's run into a um, a pole on the training pitches and it suffered an eye injury that kept him out for a for a few games. Um, yeah, so there's there's, there's been a, a few. During my time, I think Rio Ferdinand had one, um, suffered a muscle strain, I think, was watching telly when he was putting his leg up, uh, watching, you know, and, and, and pulled a muscle. I, I don't know if it was his lower back or, or leg as well. So, the, you know, the most innocuous of, of times. And, uh, yeah, so the, the, there have been a few. <laughs> and uh, probably the, the groomer side of the spectrum, what is, do you think, in, in, from the, the data you've assessed throughout your career, what seems to be the, the, the worst injury? that a footballer can have like is just I mean everyone's different but what is just the bad news injury um, the bad news injury look I mean like I say we, we talk about ACL injuries and, and the other structures in, involved in and around the knee the knee uh, you know the research will tell us that like I say you'll never you will never perform better than you did pre-injury that's a fact and you know some evidence will even suggest that 50% of those players will never return to that same type of level um, you know, but they're still out there and they're, and they're still able to, to ply their trade um, I think the ruptured Achilles is, is, is still quite a naughty little injury and, and, and again you're talking about a significant time period um, out but even just you know your, your average sort of day to day your degenerative injuries um, you know those maybe ongoing knee problems um, arthritis Man, uh, tendonitis issues from from overuse, so things are not necessarily severe in terms of, of requiring significant amount of time on on the um, on the sidelines. But those who that are just sort of niggling away, uh, which need to be managed, um, you may need injections. You may need you know those ones that can really sort of affect you down the line. Like I say, a post football career, you know, when you're away from the game. Um, joints, um, you know, all aching and um, you know, pain through through arthritis, and you know, we've talked about if we if you want to go back to the likes of maybe Gabriel uh, Batistuta in terms of you know the ankle injuries that he managed throughout his time. You know, he continued playing, and he was given painkiller injection. By the time he finished football, you know, he, he quite openly came out and he said, look. I want you to chop my feet off. I want you, I want you to take my ankle off because I'm living in so much pain on on a daily basis. You know, I, I need I, I need to to relieve that in whatever way, shape, or form. I guess that goes back to Vassal having, and it's always a stress as well. I mean, I mean Vassal. It probably sounds silly now that he took a drill through a blood blister, but there are reasons why why that happened. And if it's just to get rid of the pain, uh, it's spontaneous, it's an impulse. Whether it's worried about returning, can I do? There's something in my mind I can do. It might not be silly after. It might, it might seem silly after the fact. In hindsight, you know, at the time, it might be I've got to do this. This is this is just not working. Yeah, look, I, I mean, 
I think I and again in my early thirties I took a pair of scissors to an ingrown toenail for me and um, got infected and I ended up requiring surgery myself. Yeah. So yeah, with a, in a little bit of hindsight, um, you, know, you, you do think things are, are are good at the time. The pressures are on players, you know, to to perform, to to be available, to get out there on the pitch and deliver are immense. Certainly these days, um, you know, we talk about. Um, there's a lot of comparisons around looking at the injury data from teams that are performing well uh, compared to teams which are maybe struggling towards the bottom of the league. And the data certainly confirms that, you know, those teams that are, are, are playing well. And, and a good example we used when, when Leicester won the Premier League, I think it was back in maybe 2015-16, I think it was. In terms of the number of injuries reported and the days lost, you know, they were far... In a way, the, you know, the, the lowest, the fewest number of, of injuries of any team in the Premier League. But you look at, you know, those players who are maybe carrying minor knocks and niggles and, and small, you know, small issues. They want to get out there. They want to be a part of that eleven. They want to be out on the pitch because if they miss a game and somebody comes in and performs well, they've lost their place in the team. The crowd's behind them. They're obviously pushing for the Premier League. You know, they, they want that crowning glory. Flip side to that, you're a team struggling at the bottom. You've got, you know, when when supporters are there, you've got 30, 40 or 50,000 people, you know, on your back and you're carrying a little ankle injury or, or, you know, something else is going on there. Do you really want to be putting it all on the line and or do you just want to take a little bit of a step back and think, you know what, well, I tell you what, I, you know, I'll wait till this injury heals, I'll wait till I'm 100% and then I'll put myself back out in the firing line. Perfect there. I think uh, I've certainly gained a lot from that. I didn't expect there to be so much to just what seems at the outset, not a simple injury, but uh, an injury, an injury that can be described with, you know, three letters, ACL, MCL. So uh, to dive deep has been fantastic. And to use your knowledge about some of the strangest injuries, the worst knowledge, the worst injuries has uh, been fantastic. So thank you very much. Uh, My pleasure. Where can our listeners uh, find you? uh, Uh, you Bug you about injuries or their injuries? Um, most people tend to find me on Twitter, so I'm fairly active on uh, social media, and that's at Ben Dinnery. Um, but if you're just looking at uh, availability rates and potential returns to play and, and who's injured in and around the Premier League, um, PremierInjuries.com is where you can find all of that information. Oh, perfect, Ben. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, pleasure. Thank you for listening to AVFC Extra, an additional dose of Aston Villa content for you, brought to you by the Claret and Blue podcast team. If you enjoyed the episode, please do get in touch with us, get involved in the comment sections, tweet us at Claret Blue Pod, or leave us a review on iTunes. We really do appreciate it. We'll catch you again very soon with some more content. Until then, up the villa. Up the villa.